that was we've opened the last two with that. Hey, everybody! It's kind of again sausage making because we don't have the we're not we used Mike used to drop the music live and we'd have this kind of yeah, live. That's intro. true. That's so now true. I'm reacting to nothing and I don't know how to do it. Yeah, that's true. That's so, become abundantly clear in the last two episodes. So my filler is hey everybody, I'll find something different to do. Anyway, this is uh, like trees walking. I am Michael J. Nelson. Uh, that's the other person you hear is Pastor David Berge, and this is a podcast where we talk about the big, important issues of life. We talk about theology, philosophy, uh, contemporary culture, pop culture, which I guess is the same thing, but I'm just trying to fill Some. time. Uh, it could be contemporary and not popular. That's true. There's many things that are contemporary That's true. So, all right, I retract my apology for uh, repeating words. Anyway, we are... Um, uh, uh, or I would say orthodox Christian view. However, we want other people to hear and chime in and join join the conversation, yeah. which I want to punch myself in the face for saying, but what can I do? Just embrace I, it. I, I guess I just embrace, embrace the conversation, the invitation to join. So thank you for joining us. And in this episode, we will be talking about a very big topic. Very. It's also current. It's, let's see, it's pop and it's contemporaneous. Contemporaneous It's, it's pop. contemporary. It's popular i guess I think it's popular yeah yeah uh, and that's it's going to be our big topic and then we you know we sort of finish off the show with a little um we do it the opposite of like an amuse bouche and then the main course yeah we have a little dessert we have a little an after we have a little teaser an aperitif no an aperitif comes before because what comes it, after besides dessert uh there, there's a Isn't name, there a right? drink? Yeah, there's like a drink you have after dinner. Digestive. 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 Yes. There we go. Good. So we will give you a digestive after, and it won't be nearly guess, as bad guess as... you. Gaseous? Gaseous. Yes. Uh, still or gaseous? Uh, all right. So let's get into the big topic. I'm bringing it. Bring it. I'm bringing it again. Bring this... it hard. Bring the big wood. We'll share this in the show notes. A lot of... I overpromise, underdeliver on show notes. I don't even know really how to do show notes actually at all. Do people read show notes? No, I mean no. They okay, don't. so, so I'm going to put this in the show notes. No, right. no promises. But okay, I'm saying I'm going to do this just to sound sure. responsible. Sure. But I read a couple months back a column, New York Times opinion columnist Ross Douthit. Yes, he's their token. He's one of their token conservatives. They have a few of them. Con- da- yes, David Con- Brooks. Brooks. It- Conservative? Bobo's, I don't know. Bobo's in Paradise was a very entertaining book. Okay. I'll give that to Dave Brooks. Uh, Brett Stevens, Brett with one T. Okay. Stevens, mm-hmm. I believe yeah. he's a. Yep. T- he was. I don't know where they got him from, Washington Post or Wall Street Journal yeah. or something. I don't know. And then Ross Douth. That's, mm-hmm. their, that's their troika. My biggest thing with Ross is I never knew how to pronounce his last name. So very thank you. Difficult. You've at least solved that for me. But he wrote um, probably the most, I think he's. One of the more interesting, if not the most interesting, New York Times opinion columnist. I don't oh, know if that's okay. a high bar or what. Yeah, sorry. Um, I don't but I don't read it, so I don't know. I usually find what he writes interesting okay. to, to engage with, for sure. So All right. Consider that my endorsement okay. of, of him. He's, he just wants you to join the conversation. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Throwing that back in my face already. Not fair. But he wrote about, uh, so he wrote about the, um, this, this slogan that we've seen that I think... Uh, is bandied about and the limitations of it, and I, I, I think his thesis is a sound one and raises some interesting points. I think it's for the purposes of our show and the kind of things we talk about very much worth us 
during this conversation, he started Ugh, as well. Okay. <laughs> How now, many times? Now you're, just, <laughs> now you're just rubbing it in my face <laughs> like I'm a puppy. But go ahead. But it's a particular phrase that we've seen over the course of this past year with the pandemic. And it's this question of we got to. We have to trust the science, or we need to follow. Follow. Follow the, the science. science. Sure. Okay? okay. And yep. this could be a whole other pod top, Mike. I'm introducing. We love introducing new pod tops into our yeah, pods. We have hundreds of them. We have so much to talk about. Someone could, pod topics. someone could put these on a list, and then we could get back to some of them. But I've even seen this around my own neighborhood, um, where there's those uh, in-this-house-we-believe signs. I don't uh, know if you're familiar with those, Mike. <laughs> They're all over my neighborhood. And my, I told that up to my parents the other day, my dad, and he's like, I don't know what signs you're talking about. And then I was like, Dad, we live in the same city. And I was like, Dad, what are you talking about? They're everywhere. And I was like, he's just not paying attention. And my wife and I were both very skeptical. And then we drove around his neighborhood. None of these there's signs. None? No, none. They're all over my neighborhood, too. And oh. I've, there's been a few where there's the one that's so ubiquitous where it's just like, oh, it, all right, whatever. Yeah. But there's a couple that kind of take different turns. And I honestly, there was once... I slowed my bike down, and I was like, I'm going to go to the front door and get to the bottom of this. What does this mean? Of course I did not, but I honestly was like, oh, I was squeezing the brakes just a little. Like, look, if you're going to have this out in front. the But anyways, and, and, and so on this sign is that one of the things is, you know, in this house, and, you know, science is real. That's one of, you know, yeah. trust the science, follow the science. Science is real, um, you know, and it's, and, and we've seen this throughout the pandemic, because there's this sense that there are those who follow the science. Yeah. Trust the science. And, sure. And that has um, implications for how we're supposed to live versus those who don't believe in science, don't follow the science, don't trust the science and the scientists who are you know, leading us to perdition. And, yeah. and I just want to say that I think that that is a phrase, a posture that is of extremely limited utility and doesn't actually get us to um, it, it. It obscures more than it reveals, Mike. Okay. Okay. Here's, yeah. here's what I mean. All right. So we're talking about a pandemic. How do we do? You know, there's the coronavirus. What it, What does following the science look like in the midst of the coronavirus? What 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 should we do in response to it? Should we have schools open or schools closed? Should we have people outside? or inside should we have masks or not should we have mass gatherings or not like outdoor mass gatherings are those okay like all that to say that science can tell us so much it can tell us that there is something like the coronavirus it can tell us you know after research but it can tell us how does this how does it spread what happens what's the course that the disease takes um are there things that uh, prevent the spread um you know and so we were you know so we're dealing, first of all, with something that's new. So, I mean, I know there are other coronaviruses out there, but it was a novel situation. I believe in the name. It's NSARS-CoV-2. You know, Cove like, so we didn't know exactly how this thing spread. So I remember, I remember washing my groceries and quarantining mail-in groceries at the beginning, right? Because mm-hmm. we didn't know. So there's a lot of ignorance as a, part, as a part of our response. And so Trust the Science, I think, fails to acknowledge the amount that we just don't know and understand about something, right? That our degree yeah. of like, I don't know, like, how does this thing spread? Uh, we don't quite know yet. Seems like it could be X, Y, or Z. So fuss, trust the science, follow the science. Um, though I think people who are engaged in science themselves, real bench scientists, they understand 
like how complicated actually doing science is, not just like this simple sort of magical formula that you do that produces always clear and unambiguous results. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just, I just coincidentally watched a thing from a, uh, I think he's like an astrophysicist or something, was talking about the limitations of science and giving a bunch of quotes and like, you know, like uh, Feynman and Karl Popper saying like, look, science is, you know, continually thinking that you're wrong and, you know, trying to just, you're just trying to gain knowledge. And, and so it's very arrogant for, there's no, a scientist who stands up and goes, well, that's done. <laughs> like that just doesn't happen. I'm sorry. That's not even, that's not even the goal of it. Philosophically speaking, it doesn't work, but uh, go on. So the, and really the most, like when it comes to, I'll take the coronavirus, what should what should we do? What should our public policy response be in response to this? It's not a there, it's not a scientific question. The question of what we ought to do, how we should open things or close things, what we should permit or prohibit, those are moral questions and they're political questions. And science can only tell us like with varying degrees of certainty and and with all sorts of caveats and and probabilities. Uh, you know, around it, what what is going to happen or what could happen um, related to it. It can't tell us what we should do. And so, in fact, when we're saying trust the science, it's to me, it's it's actually a rhetorical technique um, that is deployed in what are ultimately like political questions, which are what should we do? That's room for public debate. The scientific impact has, certainly has a role to play in that. I don't want to deny that. Um, but kind of like what should we do is, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a moral and political question. Like I'll take something I'm very personally interested in. Should, should the schools have been open? Like, should the schools be open for my kids to attend school? Well, what is follow the, like the answer, follow the science, trust the science. What does that, what does that even mean? What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Which science, the science of child development, of, um, like education and learning and knowledge acquisition, that's, you know, its own realm of, right? How people learn sort of psychology and cognitive science, like that's science, right? And so if you have kids at home for a year, what does follow the science mean? If Yeah, it has, that has learning that will introduce learning deficits that could last a long time. Do you follow that science? Yeah. Do you follow the science of, developmental psychology where this could have developmental impacts that are negative do you follow that science do you follow the science of the virus and it's uh, how that spreads as well like there's all sorts of competing scientific inputs that you need to to wrestle with even as you're wrestling with the political normative moral um things that go into that hey uh, there was a guy who followed the science pretty closely uh, back uh, in the 1930s with a little toothbrush uh, mustache. His name was Hitler. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Sorry. <laughs> but he was the ultimate follow the science guy. I mean, it's just stupid to say. It's like, I love yes, it. And obviously Godwin's there. Law. Godwin's Law immediately. I invoked it. Uh, I'm only 12 minutes into the podcast and I invoked it. I'm very proud of that. Uh, but no, obviously, there are many other considerations, and that is a, I think at times borders on a bullying term. Okay, a, why do you uh, say it's bullying, Mike? Because 
any objection raised is like, well, don't you believe in the science is not an answer to, no, I wasn't talking, I was talking about the, there are other moral considerations. There's a lot going on, obviously. There are many moving parts. This is an entire globe with many competing philosophical views. And to just say, follow the science means sh just shut up. Just shut up and don't raise your objection because science. It's it's shut up, he explained. Yeah. It's basically what it is. And that's when I really hate it. Like, okay, let's talk about the science, but let's not... Science isn't the only thing. Like you say, there are moral considerations which may trump them, you know? And that's... Uh, and I think that there's also a tendency when it comes to follow the science or science as trump card to then frame everything in terms of science, you know, as, as it's normative. So whatever... Can, whatever result science produces, then we, of course, must submit ourselves to that. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, so when there was, like, uh, and this also plays off our last episode, too, but after uh, George Floyd's death in, in Minneapolis, you know, like, people took to the streets. And there were some who said, is it a good, we've been told to not have mass gatherings. Um, now, should we, should public health authorities be saying, hey, you need to be careful. Like getting together is not a good idea in public and in, in, ma in massive amounts. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, this increases your risk, you know, like or but the public health authorities, some of them said, no, like racial injustice is a public health crisis, which to me. So they just put the imprimatur of science around what is ultimately like a like a political question, which to me is fine. If people want to say, listen. You know what? If, um, doing something about uh, about what we see as racial injustice and and long term inequities, it's it's more compelling and more important now than risks associated with the pandemic. That is a claim that people can make. That is to me not a not, like it's not a problem if someone wants to say, "I'm going to prioritize this other um, cause or other value over and above the." the the spread the risk of spreading the pandemic because this is in, the, uh, in my list of priorities and values this is higher than that that's okay but to take everything and say well everything's a public health crisis because that's science and trust the science and follow the science it's like no science is just one claim amongst others as we're trying to figure out how we're supposed to organize society and live our lives and so science has it takes on this role of like trumping everything else that if you can translate the claims you're making in terms of an appeal to science then of course that has to be normative and correct um and that's not i think that's not just the case to be so and i think it's fine if people wanted to say i prioritize this over that or i'm willing to trade up make this trade off for that that's what we're doing all the time is trade-offs yeah well i want those people who make that claim to have a scientist attached to them who comes to their house and assesses how much they're actually using of our resources and then how much they're actually outputting and then, and then just deciding whether or not they get to live or die that year or whatever, you know, like do you wanna, science says. Do you, you want to decide who lives and who dies, Mike? Oh, man, I would <laughs> so much want that. But yeah, the science, yeah, the science says, uh, Sci you know. Science says you're a drain. Yeah, I can't argue with science. Sorry. <laughs> the science, yeah, the science says your, uh, you know, years of useful life are behind you. You know, yeah. so yeah, so that 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 science is important. It's a vitally important way to answer certain questions about the world, right? Or provide us with the information that can go into informing 
you know, our, our decisions that we make. It's a, it's a indispensable, invaluable tool. Um, but it's just one tool when we're deciding, when we're making individual decisions, but then also broader public policy decisions, right? We're not, yes. and, and no one, and it's a joke, right? Um, Mr. Spock, right? He's like the cool, you know, lo- and, and one of the points of the show, right, was to show pure logic. <laughs> it, it had, it, it was, Spock was good, you know, but there was also limitations to what each, you know, what his type of character, what a Vulcan type of species could bring um, to bear. And and so, uh, you know, not everyone, Spock wasn't going around trying to turn everyone else into Mr. Spock. Especially when he had to go back to his home planet for Ponfar. Remember that? <laughs> no, Mike, I don't. That was like... What's Ponfar? Ponfar was when he, like a trout, he had to return to his planet to breed. Really? Yes. That's oh, that. my gosh. I think that's the famous one where he had the, the fight with the... With Kirk. He with fought those, with Kirk? Oh, with those yeah, things? Yeah, with the famous weapons. Oh. And then the music was... Are we going to get in trouble? Yeah. No, I can no, do, you do it. Do you can under do it. 10 seconds of it, right? Anyway, that was... I believe that was Ponfar. I probably got two or three facts wrong in that, and so I'm <laughs> going to be in fine. big trouble. That's fine. <laughs> but we can... And also, let's just recognize, too, that... Um, that science and scientists these people have perspectives and interests and so uh motivated like reason we're all susceptible to motivated reasoning um so uh, science is not some it's not mr spock no it is not pure they have their own motives all scientists yes and that's and and they share that in common with the rest of humanity correct and so this is not to pick on scientists it's just to acknowledge that we all bring things to bear um, and perspectives and values and things we want to do. And an is and an ought, that's the whole game. We're all, we're, we're all going, we're all in the, uh, we're all part of the, you know, dialectic or, you know, negotiation that's going on between what is, or in the case of science, might be, because we can only assign probabilities to things, and how we think we ought to live our lives and to organize our society and the proper realm for that, like to call something to say this is a political discussion or science is politicized, that's inevitable. Yes. Um, and there's good ways to do it, and I and and there's bad ways to do it. And it's okay to bring science to bear as you're making your claims and marshaling your evidence, but it's not or it, constructing your argument or your perspective and acknowledging trade offs. That's all. That's all fine. That's inevitable. In a, in a society, and, and, and that's okay. And so there is, sci- follow the science, obscures, or trust the science, um, can obscure much more than it reveals. And so we need to, I think, be cautious when we're making claims and just acknowledge that all of us are making trade-offs given the evidence that we have in our hands. Right. There's not a, uh, there's not a fact sheet that just do this, do this, do this, result perfection and happiness whatever yes many competing claims speaking of yeah now is a good time to bring up the fact that i think you mentioned the age of our show and i think it's been a long time since i made one of my biggest on-air blunders regarding science oh science she blinded me with science and uh i made the claim boldly as oh. as if it were a fact that just who what's a true fact about? yeah yeah what everybody knows this that kind of thing yeah 
that the singer of that famous song that you hear it everywhere, she blinded me with science. Science. Uh, Thomas Dolby, yes. I said, was... The great Thomas Dolby. A member of the Dolby family, the scientists who invented, you know, the, the tape system the to reduce tape hiss, and the Dolby, and, you know, they were famous. They're know. German, right? I, well, look, I'm not going to make any claims anymore. But, I, yeah, I just stated, yeah, did you know that he was, like, the nephew of the Dolby who did Dolby? And just, like, complete, and this you is just... complete, utter, not true at all. Someone just told it to me as either a joke or just a you know telephone tag game where they're just like I heard you know it, and I just lived with it my whole life. I'm like, well, that makes sense because he's doing a beep boop, you know. So oh yeah, absolutely. He's a musician and he's Dolby and he's seems like he has time to hang around in studios. So <laughs> absolutely not true. He took the name because it sounded like he might be a member of the Dolbys or something. Fool- that might even be wrong. Th- so that has to be not, true. I'm that has gonna... to be true. Fooled you. Anyway, the fact is, I, I just wanted to celebrate my shame again and just repeat it, how ashamed I am. And and probably 90% of what I say is <laughs> the same. It's akin to the Dolby yes. claim. Anyway, there we are. That is our talk on science. Science. So guys, at the end of the day, and gals, um, if you take anything away from this conversation, it's one, Mike is just pulling it out. Absolutely. Every time. Yep. And, and number two, just tr- follow the science. <laughs> All right, let's, let's hear from the pastor, and then we'll return in a moment to this is Like Trees Walking. Hey, guys. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, is, I've disappointed him again. Uh, listen, thank you for listening to this podcast. It's been five years almost. What a long, strange trip it's been. But you've been with us at least this step of the way, so we appreciate that. And you've listened this far in the episode. Thank you. Rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. I don't even know what you can do on Spotify, but do whatever you can do on Spotify to make it pop. And guys, I'm seeing all the time, we're popping in and out of rankings in the Netherlands and Tillys. We're we're hot in some of your smaller markets, and so we appreciate that. Small in size, but not in their importance um, in God's eyes, because we are all his children uh, and created in this image and likeness. So we appreciate that. You can follow us on social media at LTWpod on Twitter. Uh, we're not in the clubhouse yet. This, we're, ain't, we're never going in the clubhouse. Uh, on or on Facebook, like Trees Walking Podcast, uh, LTWpod.com. Yeah, we're here, um, and, uh, and, and, and we're going to keep on trucking and rocking in the free world and keep on keeping on. So let's get back to the show. And we are back. Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome Who's son- back. <laughs> it's like Kermit the Frog singing as... John Sebastian. What a great... Didn't we... Do we talk about him No, I don't think program? We. No. Must have done it on another podcast. Sorry, Dave. I have oh, other podcasts. All right. I have other interests. I do know that you corrected Connor's pronunciation of sauna on your other podcast, <laughs> okay. which was a delightful... It was just a little moment, and I caught that, and I was just <laughs> he delighted. Did. He was puzzled by that. I, I, I had to move on quickly, because he's like, what? It's like, no, oh, it's sauna. <laughs> Like, it was a, just a delightful moment yes. for me. Uh, yeah, John Sebastian sang "Welcome Back." Remember, didn't he kind of had a like "Welcome Back"? Almost like an almost like a Neville brother. Oh yeah, you know Neville brother. Or the uh, the uh, the Bee Gees. Remember when they would do that weird trembling thing? You're way too young. Yeah, I mean I've heard some Bee Gees. I can think of yeah. younger days when 
As a kid, I was like, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Like somebody slap him upside the head. There's something. And then the singing like into falsetto. Yeah. Was very strange oh, yeah. to me. Like, I had why a, are they doing that? I had the Saturday Night Fever. Like I got, I, I got into wax and into, into vinyl LPs. Yeah. How many grams, man? <laughs> I'm never that deep. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm never that deep. Uh, but I bought a lot. You know, I'd go to Cheapo Records. Oh, sure. And, yeah. and, and dig, in, dig in the crates. Uh, Hearing that slap, slap, slap <sighs> sound in there. Love it. So this was my early 20s. Yeah. And I do have a record player now. But I, I had, um, you know, one of, the, one of the common records you'd see there was the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack right there. Lots of great Bee Gees on that. Um, and a fifth of Beethoven. <laughs> what was happening in the 70s? I grew up in the 70s. And this is the thing that, that my, my beloved wife, Bridget, and I bonded on was I remember being a kid in the 70s going, there's something weird going on. This is not right. And I'm just a kid. Like, I have no experience, you, but this is all screwed up. You are completely correct. I can't wait for this, whatever this is, to be over. And then it did. But then it was the 80s. So, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, the 80s, I think. Stand, I think the 80s trump. The, they stand up yeah. much stronger yeah, than they, the 70s. Yeah, the 70s the seems same. like just... What happened? I don't know, man. <laughs> Le- lead gasoline or something like that. I don't know what I it is. So. Anyway, you uh, you had a question for me. I have a question for you. And I, I have an answer for you, so give I it to me. It. So this is Ask, this is ask Mike. Mm-hmm. Qu- query the comedian. Mike, you are a comedian, a professional comedian. You are paid. I am, although you know what I say when I sit like to get a oh, haircut. Oh, to get a haircut? Oh, you're in... Uh, what do you... Like, I... Um, you're in... Digital a, content, or what do you say? I'm a content provider for a, an independent website. <laughs> so, Mike, you're a content provider <laughs> for an independent, for an web. independent website. Yes, I agree. That the content happens to be jokes. That is true. Um, in, intended to make people laugh. That right? is true, yes. And so okay. yeah. you have been paid to make people laugh, to, to write jokes for a long time. That, that has been one of your... Maybe perhaps your, I think your longest profession. It, it, by far my longest profession, yes. More than I the cheese deny. factory or the box yes. factory. I'm not, in a, I'm not getting a haircut now, so I will admit it, yes. Okay. So I'm dying to ask you, because that's not that many people who do that. I mean, as a pastor, I make people laugh. I don't get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Some of us think we're comedians. But, um, so this is, a, this is a rare profession. Yes. And so, but it's culturally very significant, I think. The role of comedians, I think sometimes it's overinflated. I mean, with sure. yep. many of these media-centered professions, they love to talk about how important they are. Oh, yes. My God. You know, you're the, you're the prophets of our age. Awards here. shows. More award shows. So there is a strong self-congratulatory aspect to the role of comedy in society. Sure. But I do think it's vital and important. And I mean, lots of, lots of um, entertainment dollars. Uh, you know, there's whole companies, billions of dollars are spent on this industry to kind of yeah. make people laugh. So you're in a very, you're in a crucial role in important industry. I don't get to talk to people that often who do this. Mike, I can talk to you. A concept that I've seen around this, and I'm wondering what you're thinking of, I've never asked you this, is when they talk about comedy. And I think, you know, comedy has evolved, or the concept of comedy has evolved over my lifetime from the sort of, it exists to, you know, I think of old time joke, jokey people, you know, it exists to make people laugh just by telling jokes. And then it exists to sort of like shock the conscience, you know, sure. sort of like, Hey, like you know, we're the people who will say, "Can you say that?" You know, kind of yeah. thing. And so comedy got he went there. Yep. So comedy in the in the eighties and nineties was sort of going there, 
And then now it's evolved to like it, comedy has a moral or ethical component to it. Yes. And so that's very important is comedians have like you are in some ways like a moral – you set the moral compass of, of society or, or the ethical role you play in society is you – comedians exist to punch up, mm-hmm. right? So it's your job to kind of com- – comedy is a tool that you can use to attack people who are in power. And so Correct. it's important that when you're using comedy, you're punching up. I'm, it, you can't see it here now, folks, but I'm punching up in the air. I'm punching He's up. doing very head. strong uppercuts, both <laughs> left and right. The stance is questionable, but I do not, I'm not missing the symbol that he's giving. I so. am, you know, I am Iron Mike Tyson. I am Lennox Lewis. I'm Buster Douglas punching up. Yeah. Not Mike, because comedy is bad when you're like making fun of someone who is less fortunate than yourself. Correct. Punching down, right? So punching down is like making fun of a homeless person and punching up is making fun of the president of the United States, right? So like Correct. that and comedy is good when it punches up and it's bad when it punches down. Um, so Mike, what do you think of that framing? I'm just, I've never asked you about that. So what do you think? Yeah, it's a good, it's a very good question. I thought a little bit about it. It, I don't think that in my lifetime it had come up until a couple of years ago that I'd never, because my, my, my comedy has always been pretty, uh, I use this term fondly, middle of the road. Um, in terms of who I want to appeal to, mm-hmm. I want everyone to have a chance to laugh at this. When I think of when I'm making a joke or something, my greatest delight is going, ooh, this is going to make a lot of people laugh. Mm-hmm. And it's never like, oh, I'm so clever. It's like, no, this is the best thing to say, and I'm going to know how to say it, and people are going to laugh. And that sort of delights me in that way. Is like, ooh. This I made a you know I I, ba- I baked a cake. Yeah. It's, ooh, this is good. I think this might be my best cake. This is gonna be fun. It's not about you know your talent or anything. So when I got accused of punching down, it was sort of puzzling to me. I won't give the context of it. Okay, and I I, I was not aware that you had ever been accused of. It. Yeah, and I was like, whoa, okay. Well, I mean, times change. And I've I've been accused of it a few times. I think that's, you know, comedy is always on the edge. You're always going to be making fun of something in mm-hmm. some way because fun is sort of built into the whole comedy thing. So there's going to be a laugh and that's going to be at the expense of something. Um, so those those things are built in. Um, and uh, and I've always been of the, the, the mind that it would be the last thing in the world that I want to hurt anyone's feelings. It's always you're assuming that it's built in that we all... We share something about it. So when you hear that someone doesn't share it, it's like upsetting. Like, oh, I'm sorry. But all I can tell you is that my intention has always been to just make the most amount of people laugh without causing any, you know, without trying to aggrandize myself and be clever. It's just like, it's just a joke. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was odd to me to be accused of punching down. Um, But... Now, given that, let me get more specific. All right. I'll drill down. All right. So I do another podcast that you're aware of with Connor Listoka, mm-hmm. 372 pages, and we do it on bad books. And some of the, the authors that we do with these books are just people who write books. And we've been accused, like, what are you guys doing? You're punching down. It's like, but, but they're publishing a book. We're not going to be deliberately cruel to them just because they published a book. We're going to read their thing, have fun with it in the appropriate sense. You know, like if you're in a room full of people and you're having fun, I'm not going to stand out and suddenly go like, 
this bald guy, look at this piece of crap. He has no... No, I'm going to treat him with the respect of, you know, that he deserves or she, whatever, as a human being, and then we all have fun together. That's always been my philosophy mm -hmm. of comedy. We're all having fun together. And if someone is... If sometimes you can't help that someone is going to go, I didn't see it that way, then you kind of have to go, well... I guess that's built into the cost. That's like a, that's built into it. Interesting. Um, so that that's kind of my philosophy of it is I really try to the most possible joy um, and, the, and the least possible harm. But at the same time, you are going to have a cost to it because somebody's not going to be happy about it. But I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, if you think about something, um, a we'll take an example of a book that you read. Uh, was it Dwight David Thrash who wrote yeah, the Dwight David Thrash, 372 yeah. or no 64 squares was that him the 64 squares yes he writes something like that and it's, <laughs> and it's what good is that book in terms of as a as a story and a book it's there's nothing you can say about it other than it's very bad like this is not a good story it's yes, not a he good should book. not be writing books we went out of our way to make sure that there was that he was a person mm -hmm. and you know, that we, as best as we can, somebody, I guess this could be an elaborate con on us in right. some way, but he seems to be a real human being who is mentally 100% functioning person who plays trombone in a church choir yeah, or something. Like, you know? He's so obviously, it's fine. It's yeah. like, you know, like he's obviously a bit of a character in that yeah. he sat down and wrote this book, but you know, uh, I think I, I listened to that one in particular and it's like, it's just saying this is really the manner of presenting this material is very funny when you stop yes. and look at it because it's so <laughs> odd. And so as a as a standalone book, it's uh, this is me speaking, not Mike. It's it's a garbage book in terms of a piece of <laughs> literature and work. But in terms of so you take something like that and you just kind of draw people's attention to it and the and uh, you actually make create it as a source of joy and you're not saying who's this idiot who wrote this book like what would you have we to were do that? constantly went oh. out of our way to say the guy seems like he's got a great life he's like killing it i don't you know we have nothing against him we don't but people some people have talents that, you know like you can make fun of bad art or whatever and you're not hurting the person right no i don't I, think so yeah and so that that was part of it and i guess it's william hung right like Yes, right, right, exactly. But you're not even Simon. You're not Simon Cowell. No, you know? we're not even being no. mean to him. We actually say that that was one of the greatest joys we had doing the podcast was reading Dwight David Dwight David Thrash because it made us it's just made us laugh. Like this is a a curiosity, a quirky thing, and delightful. And that's kind of my philosophy. Why not celebrate these weird things? But then when there's someone like um, you know Sean Penn wrote a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible book that also had like a real mean streak oh. in it and a weird just weird He's... like we, so we take it at its level like i don't think anyone would think we're being mean to sean penn or uh, that would be punching up i guess you could punch you can do anything you want to right sean penn. <laughs> but we don't even do that because it's like we got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt i don't know him maybe he's a great soul i have no idea but i get to take what he creates and puts out in public i get to look at it and comment on it. Otherwise, what are we all doing? We're just walking around like with, you know, frozen smiles on our face. Like everything is delightful. I loved your meal that you cooked me, even though it was burnt and had dog feces in it. Like this makes no sense. <laughs> and that's what I think that comedy is just sort of points that out. And 
And obviously you don't do it in a way that draws attention to yourself in a way that like, wow, that guy's being really mean. I mean, there are those comics, right. you know, there's the Lewis Black or whatever, but that's not, that's sort of an exception. Like mm-hmm. that's his whole persona. Mm-hmm. Like he's an unhinged lunatic. It's crazy. But most normal human beings, you're reacting to things in the way that another human being would go, I recognize that. Yeah. And, and I would react the same way. Therefore, we're all sharing a laugh. So. Anyway, that's, that's my thank that's my you, theory. Mike. That's that's very helpful, and you're you're drawing attention uh, to some of the absurdities of life. Yeah, well, I will point out Connor brought this up on a recent podcast, I think, or maybe it was just off air, where he said, "Like, I cannot believe we did not get a thank you note from Dwight David Thrash." That is right. I mean, because <laughs> or, people... or some of the other authors where suddenly their book shoots up. I mean, too. literally, the readership for. Dwight David Thrash went from probably one, or I mean, the people who like somehow got it for free on their Kindle Unlimited yes, or whatever, right. like, why are you exposing me <laughs> yes. to this book? To people actually read, like, reading through the whole thing. Uh, I mean, it had to go like exponent. I mean, just astronomically, almost infinitely yeah. more people in terms of scale are reading this, and so yeah, like people are being exposed to this thing that he did in a fun way, but they're taking joy out of it's like yes. it's like Tommy Wiseau. He learned to ride that wave. Oh man. You know, where it's like, hey, he made something horrible, but people laughed at it and he he is the ultimate pivot from like laughing all the way to the bank in the sense of He's ugh. he's riding a thin crest there though, because he <laughs> also claims that it's like, no, I did artistically exactly what I wanted to do. And then you're like, so it's a comedy? Like, no oh, no. So it's like, wait a minute, you cannot you can't have he's trying that to have cake. it he's yeah. trying to have it every which way yeah, yeah but. but he did say it's a he's an ex Tennessee Williams and it's a dark comedy it's like on the it's on the DVD box or yeah I don't know like, man I know you've it's worked, a nice try you you've worked with him so yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's very funny <laughs> all right so that Mike that was a, a, a bonus that's bonus that could have been its own that could have been its own podcast Mike I have a lot of, yeah, I have, the, my theory of comedy is very, it's well advanced. It sits oh. in my mind. So if you ever have any more questions about comedy, oh, I'll, ask I'll gas off for as long as you want <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it, Mike. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a show, right? Yeah, that's it. That's a wrap. Let's wrap this thing up. All right. This is uh, Like Trees Walking. I'm Michael J. Nelson. I am David Berge. Wow, you paused. No, I just because you saying something made me think of something that I need to write down to make sure we do it as another bonus segment because I just need to talk to people about this. (laughs) Okay. Well, this is uh, like trees walking so long. (laughs) 